2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
3: Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. And before we get into tonight's topic, invisible divorces. What? I know a lot of us. That's how we're running our relationships. And uh, hopefully we're going to move into a secondary topic after that. But uh, let's just kind of. Carve out some space to acknowledge, hey, however your day is going, hold space for some joy and pleasure nonetheless, or for the possibility of tomorrow being better. Remember, as I always say, a bad morning doesn't have to be a bad day. A bad day doesn't have to be a bad week. Things might still be ongoing that aren't ideal or feeling good or feeling great. However, we can still carve out space for a little bit of joy and pleasure at the same time. or holding space for both and also holding space for the idea that maybe that's going to completely change change is constant. Sometimes it gets worse, but at some point it always crashes and maybe improves. But if not, because maybe you're dealing with something that's going to be ongoing or maybe even forever, we can still turn to the other direction and like I said, carve out space for something that feels good, something that is joy and pleasure tied to it. So just that reminder. I want to have that flexibility, that openness to, you know, what else is to come. Sometimes we dig our heels into whatever it is we're experiencing and we feel like we're not honoring it by being open or shifting. So we're holding space for all the above i talk about that as just a general relational skill not just something we apply to our own experience of the world around us or our you know current mental health but relationally people are both the person we love and the person we hate at times we have to hold both the person that disappointed us a few minutes ago we loved everything about them and now they've done something that kind of lets us down they're both people at the same time and it's really important that we kind of hold both which in a way segues us into tonight's topic always, 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 always coming up with these new terms that um, explain new phenomenon within relationship or mental health, but sometimes they also just take us back and um, it's a new term for something that's always existed. And an invisible divorce is basically kind of what it sounds like. You're still married. You're not, quote unquote, uh, publicly or um, legally. Or overtly divorce, but you're living your life, you're living your marriage, you're living your relationship, essentially as though you you are. And this is coming from a bunch of different articles, um, and of course, as always, my own clinical experience uh, as a couples, marital, and sex therapist. Um, and I think it's been normalized. A lot of the things that come into my office, maybe people think, oh, I want to improve this or change this. And um, they don't realize, wait a second, the whole structure is a little bit broken or off. Or they come in my office for what we call uh, you know, the presenting issue. And upon assessment intake or exploring that presenting issue, they realize, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of other things happening, including this one. So all of these things are not necessarily things that we should uh have panic around. I always try to preface topics by saying that. I try to present things as workable. What what are the things that we can do? So the identification of this is important so that you know work is needed and what the work might be, but don't panic. Um we can find ourselves within our erratic lives, our romantic lives, our socialized going, "Oh no, bad, wrong, toxic, falling apart, whatever it is drifting." But Try to, try to give it a shot first. I think we wanna honor relationality and as long as there's no violence or abuse of any kind, maybe stick around a little bit longer and do the work. Remember, when times are tough, what we do or what we don't do really demonstrates to our friend, our family member or our romantic partner how committed we are, how much they can trust us because commitment and trust are most shown when times are tough. That's when trust is built. Wow, they stuck with me through that. They're still there. I can trust them. Trust is more built in difficult times and more profoundly and deeper than it is in positive feel-good times. It's easy to be a part of someone's life when things are going well. Same thing with commitment. Again, best demonstrated when things are hard, when things are not ideal, and they're still there. So really try to see those moments as moments to demonstrate that to yourself and to others and also to have that shown to you. But again, as always, we're looking at ourselves first with these topics. And as always, I circle back through topics repetitively. I want people to really have these things built in because for some people, this show is the only time where they really hear a discussion of mental health and relational skills. Otherwise, the world is taking us away from that and giving us problematic role models and whatnot. So um, I try to circle and cycle through the same things just to really get that kind of built in. So, um, an invisible divorce, it's kind of like I said, what it sounds like. It's when you're in a relationship and. You know on paper and to everyone else the labels are still there boyfriend girlfriend exclusive monogamous married whatever the terms might be that really define your relationship but within that label within that structure within that marital contract within that home not so much and why does it matter well because that is our mental health at play we are impacted by those we spend time around we talk about that all the time on the show And so an invisible invisible divorce can be quite painful. There's often nothing more painful or or lonely or isolating than to be with, but apart from while with. To technically and literally maybe have a husband, a partner, but emotionally, psychologically, socially, to not. We even have a bigger term, which is related to this called ambiguous loss. And and, and, uh, this is a hard sentence to say, an ambiguous loss is a loss where they are both gone but yet here at the same time. Examples of that would be someone that maybe is often gone to war. You know, they still exist, but they're not accessible. You can't see them, you can't talk to them. They're here, but they're gone. Uh, maybe someone that's gone missing. You don't know that your child is or your friend or loved one has passed away. Uh, maybe they are alive or you don't know. So they're still in existence, but yet you don't, again, have access to them, nor can you see them. And so an invisible divorce is a form of an ambiguous loss. It's here, but it's not. Okay, we're going to talk more about that, y'all. So stick around. You're listening to Love I'm Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back.
1: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
1: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
3: All right, y'all, we are back and talking about a phenomenon called ambiguous loss in relationship to this other phenomenon called invisible divorces. And basically what we're talking about is to be a part of something, but yet not a part to be with, but away from, and the concept of ambiguous loss was developed by those that were struggling with having someone but not being able to see them connect or relate to them and it was something when you maybe uh someone has gone missing right and we we don't know where they are we don't know where they've gone we don't know if they're still alive or maybe we do but we don't have connection to them we can't reach out to them sometimes they're estranged or sometimes they're just missing maybe also um like when someone's gone off to war or and and It's basically knowing that they're, they're possibly or literally around or alive, but yet I can't see them. I can't touch them. I can't connect to them. So I can't mourn their loss because they're, they're not gone, but I also can't feel them or their presence. So they're neither here nor there. And invisible divorces are a version of that where, well, I'm married or that's my boyfriend or girlfriend and, and we live together and we have these labels and these structures and maybe we signed a marital contract, but yet emotionally, psychologically, or socially, they've they've left, you know, physically present, but emotionally gone. And nothing feels more lonely than that to be with someone, but apart from them. And that's kind of what we're talking about tonight, this concept of invisible divorces. And I think some people have gotten very familiar with it. And it's, um, it's a it's a limbo. It's a transitional space. Um, it's a liminal space even. And that's all about these in between, you know, uh, not over there, but not over here. And it's very hard. It, it can often be a, a gridlock. You know, where do we go from here? And the first step is just always the awareness, the awareness that something's wrong or the awareness that something needs to be different. And then the second step is always putting that into language, sharing that with your partner. Hey, can we talk about the fact that we've drifted or that we're we're not connected anymore and we don't need to panic about that and it doesn't need to be a fight or an attack we don't need to get defensive but we both need to acknowledge something's different and we want to get back on the same page that's always the first step acknowledging it and then taking it to your partner and making it known to both of you so that a decision can be made what it really requires that gridlock is a choice what do we want to do because the answer can't be more of the same And for some people that struggle with intimacy and vulnerability, or are emotionally avoidant, it's a very hard thing for them to recognize because maybe this is what they prefer. Maybe this is what's comfortable for them and they don't want to do the work. I've had people that have begun, began uh, couples or marital therapy with me and they've said, wow, this is a lot of work. And I say, yeah, it's not just cute little exercises to go home and do. We're really looking at who we are, where we are, what we want. Um, we're going up against ourselves. We're going up against our limits and we're really unpacking things and having some difficult conversations. And that's what, in, in visible divorce requires. So looking at the research, I'm just going to share with you a few qualifications. Again, these are this is a loose working term, but it'd be characterized by a relationship that no longer has social connection. You're no longer spending time outside of the home doing anything. Uh, there's no longer any maybe sexual or romantic energy. There's uh, no emotional or psychological intimacy. So there's no sharing of our thoughts, our feelings, our day. It's kind of, you know, two ships passing in the night. Maybe we still share a bed, we still share a home. That's pretty much it. And then there can be, remember, there can be smaller levels where there's a little bit of sharing and we spend time together on the couch watching television, but um, there's not much more no, or more depth. And some people see it just within the emotions. Maybe you actually still have an erotic life for your partner, but for some, that's the trap. You know, that that's all we have. And so we really rely upon that and it uh, becomes the respirator for our relationship, but we don't really have one outside of that. And that can't, that, that's not enough to hold two people together. So again, signs of an invisible divorce are all these different forms of disconnection. Things feel more like a business. Everything's a little more transactional. Um, you talk more about the kids, um, the household day-to-day, bills. But again, we don't do any of the romantic. We don't do any of the physical. We don't do any the affectional. We don't do any of the emotional or psychological sharing or bonding. Um, again one of you both of you are kind of turning outside of the relationship um to get that intimacy and and there can be a healthy version of that where your partner isn't expected to meet every need to go to other people but this would be an example of someone where they never go to their partner because either they're getting other needs met elsewhere or their partner's just not available and um for some people that's the duration of their entire relationship together. And that's quite heartbreaking because a lot of work can be done and a lot of change is possible. And I want people to know you can have different and you can have better, but you have to be willing to identify that there's an issue and you have to be willing to vulnerably go to your partner and say, Hey, listen, what's happening. Isn't, isn't good for me. Isn't feeling good. Or, or, you know, again, we've drifted. Um, and that's hard because you never know what kind of response you're going to get. And so you're, you're really having to drop down into some vulnerability. Um, But again, the first step is just really, really making it known uh, to yourself first and being open to the journey. Because the next step could be in a lot of different directions. It's not always reunification, it's not always renewal. Sometimes it's release, and that's what comes up even in infidelity. Discussing, so we renew and learn from this and grow and be better and challenge ourselves, or do we wanna release? Do we wanna release each other and say, you know, we're gonna start again with someone else. It's a very interesting uh, fork in the road. And there's a lot to think about and a lot to unpack. So, you know, tonight's topic is like a starting point. It's a conversation starter. It's putting a label to what might be happening. So there's language and a discussion can be had sometimes it's this, it's very simple. You know, you say, you know, we want this or we don't want this. And other times it be, it starts a long journey that could take weeks, months, or years to really figure out what's possible and what you want. And sometimes working with a marital couples therapist is what's necessary to have someone kind of guide it. Um, so tonight it's kind of just like a, a loose poking into that, but, um, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about what the, what the necessary steps are. And then we'll do some DMS and then we'll talk about, uh, Dun, 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 drum roll we're going to get into some sex talk and we're going to talk about ways that people use sex to avoid intimacy it's an important topic uh but if you have a question for us or a topic you want us to put it in the dms on our loveline ig page and past episodes of the show always over at wearechannelq.com. scroll down for loveline and click on it good stuff there y'all but uh don't go anywhere we'll be back you're listening to loveline with dr chris on channel q in odyssey oh rachel we're back and uh finishing up our discussion on emotional divorces also known as an invisible divorce because nothing structural or functional has really shifted or changed but yet within the social emotional psychological and affectional gone doa not happening anymore, feeling really hard. Um, and I was saying that it, it, it's it's a really important thing to acknowledge that um, this is what's happening. And then taking that to your partner to say, what do we want to do? Do we want to renew? Do we want to repair? Or do we want to release and start again? And there's a lot we can do. And I always advocate for people, if there's no violence and there's no abuse, to stick around and to try to do this work because what we do when times are tough really demonstrates to ourselves, but also to our partners and our relationship, how much trust we have and how much commitment is there. Trust, because trust is built when things are hard and the person sticks around, and that's also when we most demonstrate commitment. Um, Neither trust nor commitment are really demonstrated when things are easy or fun. That's simple, there's no work in that. But when things get hard and complicated and vulnerable and, and we ride this out and we do that work, bam, I trust, I trust this, I trust you. I can really see the commitment in action. Commitments when you have both leg, both feet in through hard times. Having one leg out erodes at trust. So an invisible divorce, as we kind of talked about, is basically when um, it's all transactional, it feels like a business arrangement, feels like roommates. Um, we're turning to other people or other things to get our needs met because it's not available. We're not interested in getting that with each other. There's no more psychological, emotional, or physical intimacy. Um, You know, we're physically together, but that's about it. Without that marital contract or the label, we don't really have much else. So first you have to, um, again, sit and acknowledge it. You have to talk to each other, and then you have to be willing to discuss what it might be that is off or wrong, or what has led to that drift. Is it that we stopped prioritizing each other? Is it that we fell out of love? Is it that we aren't just putting time and attention into our relationship? Is it that other factors, business, work, commute, finances have created a rift or led to a lot of conflict? You have to really be willing to get honest and say, how did we get here? And it can't be about pointing the finger and saying, well, this is what you did. More importantly, because how we process this will help determine whether or not we fix and stay in this, right? It's not just about getting to the solution, it's also who are we as a couple while getting and working on that solution, that also matters and counts. It's always both levels, but we have to look at ourselves first and say what might I have done to contribute to this and to say to our partner, here's my part and here's what I'm willing to do, here's what I'm able to do, start there before you point the finger and say, here's how we got here, you work too much, you lied about finances. That's just defensiveness and that's gonna to lead to more conflict. Start with yourself first by saying, I realize I didn't ask enough questions about our finances. I realized I put all the burden of the financial, of financial responsibility on you and I need to ask more questions, be more involved, or you know, step into that in an active way, or whatever the topic might be. Own what you've done, own what you haven't done, and own what you're willing to do, or what you're not willing to do. Let your partner know what they're up against. I think that's important, but again, we pay attention to the delivery of all this, because as our partner is sharing with us what their you know thoughts and needs and concerns are, The content matters as much as the process. That's part of the work. Because you might realize, see, here we are, trying to lovingly talk about these topics, and yet again, we can't do it without harming each other. The process might be the issue, not even the content itself. It's that we can't even get through a conversation. You know, do we need marital and couples therapy? Do we need individual work? Or are we just not interested and invested in each other in this relationship at all? Um, Because that's part of this. You have to do that deep, difficult exploration of, because that's what I always say to my clients, right? If they come in and we're doing individual work and this is the case with their marriage or their primary relationship, I say to them, first sit with yourself and look at what you're going to be up against and what you would need to do and is that something you're willing to do before we even bring our partner into it? Because if you realize, here's what I've done, here's what it's going to take and I'm not up for it, well then you can unilaterally go to your partner and say this relationship is just not something I'm interested in being a part of anymore. However, if you realize I am willing to do the work and I've looked at what it's gonna take for me, then go to your partner and say, hey, listen, here's what's happening between us and here's what my role is and can we talk about what's required of both of us and I'm all in and I'm willing to do my work, that's gonna be very motivating and inspiring for your partner to hear versus you going to them saying, I don't even know if I wanna be a part of this anymore. I'm really, I'm, I'm more and more a big fan of people digesting and processing some of this before they go to their partner. Uh, I'm a big fan of people not taking automatic, undigested material to their partner and then somehow expecting their partner to weed through that or sit through that. Take some time and do that work to, for yourself. and I, And I would apply that to a lot of different issues. And then go to your partner saying, here's what I've landed with, here's what I figured out. Letting them be a part of it on the back end, but not making them a part of the really catastrophized, dramatized, not right-sized energy. It's very overwhelming. And you wanna process through that first. Um, Okay, we're gonna come back and do some DMs and then we're gonna get into intimacy within sexuality because there's a lot of ways that people use sex as a way to distance and disconnect and so we're, we're kind of getting really specific on this more generalized topic, but this is applicable to everyone. Um, cause I think you're going to see yourself <laughs> in all these different behaviors. So come back, we'll do some DMS. Um, yeah, good stuff. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
3: DMs come from our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Questions, topics, things you want us to circle back to, drop deeper in. Let's go. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I just found out my boyfriend of six years is cheating on me. When I found out, I understood. Because I feel like I'm not doing enough for our relationship. I always, I'm always working. And at first, I thought he could handle it. But... When he told me, I was upset, but I said I understood, and that w- and I said I understood, and that's when he got really mad, and he said I needed to show more compassion. <laughs> Am I wrong here? No, I think you are taking a higher level perspective on this. Um, I think it's really great when anyone part of any system, especially a relational system, is able to look at whatever they might have contributed to that system and whatever then came out of that system, even if we were victimized by some element, we are participants. I will always work with every client, even if they were cheated on, at some point in looking at what might they have done that was part of creating a system where that occurred. There isn't always an answer, often there is. That doesn't mean that they were responsible, it means that they are learning more about how to build the kind of relationship that doesn't lead to something like that, or maybe they were part of creating and causing that. Um, Sometimes, yes, we are part of creating a system that harms us. This is the reality. (laughs) And mental health is about looking at who we are, what we're doing, how we're moving through the world, and of course learning how to set boundaries and protect ourselves from others. But it's also about learning what we're doing. I can't help someone if we're always focusing on the other person. So what you're doing is beautiful. It's higher level. I think when we're part of a relationship, we should always be asking ourselves, what kind of partner am I being? I think I, I, I've said this on the show many times. I want every partner, all, all relationships, every couple months, at least once a year to say, hey, how's this been going? What do we need to do differently for each other? What kind of partner have I been? Should we continue on with this relationship? We don't just make that assumption. We are in relationships because they have a positive impact on our lives. We don't have to be in them. Relationships take a little bit of work, but not a lot of work. It shouldn't take so much, so much, and they should make our lives harder. And if they are, something needs to change or we need to exit. They should not just be something we sign up for and we are victimized and we stick around because we made that commitment no matter what. No, commitments need to be changed and renegotiated. I want people to walk away from anything they've committed to if it's no longer in their best interest. A job, a family, a friend. (laughs) Yes, that's mental health. Slavery is illegal. We can't sign our lives away to something. So I don't understand why your partner's saying they want more compassion. Maybe... In your accountability there's no emotional functioning within that I, I don't know but all i really want to focus is on, all i want to focus on is you deciding whether or not you want to renew that relationship or release it are you able to do the work that's required but more importantly is your partner taking accountability is your partner willing to do what needs to be done to remove those to close the windows on those exits to focus more on what they were trying to get from that other partner to get more from you because remember Often what it is that we think is lacking is something we also have the ability to bring back in. If your partner who cheated on you thought that your relationship needed more time together and more passion, well, then they should have initiated, created created that and asked for it. No one's victimized by the lack of something. Create what you want. I say that to everyone. The women I work with, they might say, I want more romance for my partner. Great. Bring more romance to him. Be more romantic. Normalize that. Show him what it looks like. Create what you want. You want more romance? Set up romantic things. Let it still have worth and value. We don't just sit back passively wanting someone to do what we're not able to do. You know, we're all active participants in the quality of our relationship. Change it. So I think you're doing the best you can, but I want to hear more from your partner who cheated. Um, are they taking accountability? Have they apologized? Have they said what's what's required for them to be better? Have they talked about how they wanna heal this? Have they talked about you know, what they wanna to do to make you feel safer? But I like that you're looking at the fact that you need to give more energy, focus, and attention on your relationship. Relationships should be the primary thing in our lives. They should get all of our time, energy, and focus. Not our friends, not our hobbies, not our jobs. Relationships. We are as healthy as the relationships we're part of. They should be our center point. So I'm proud of you. I don't understand why he's saying he needs more compassion from you. But um, yeah, circle back. Circle back and talk that out. But I like where I like where your thinking's at. I think that's gonna be the most transformative thing for you because all these things that happen give us the possibility of learning more about ourselves. All right, so you got a question for us drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Past episodes of the show over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it. You can binge post, re-listen. Lots of good stuff because it's all about that uh, repetition, unlearning and relearning. So uh, step into that process. More to come. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back. And uh, now we're kind of shifting gears and not shifting gears at the same time. And we're looking at all the different ways that... People have trained themselves to engage in sex and eroticism without intimacy. And I think some of you are going to be surprised at what you're going to learn because some of these things have become so normalized that people aren't realizing, whoa, that's actually a block, that's an avoidant tactic. That's a way that I can be present physically, sexually, but then while at the same time kind of not being. So it's how you lean out while you're present. It's also what we call an intimacy buffer, which means all the ways that we are disconnected from someone while being connected to them. And we wanna work on that because this shifts our intimacy and our vulnerability, but also it shifts our ability to have pleasure and fun with someone. And it can also be born out of create or reinforce sex shame and body shame. So there's a lot that can come out of this. Um, And there's so many ways that we've gotten here. You know, as I say on the show all the time, a lot of our stuff around sex and our bodies is rooted in our gender and our gender training and our gender socialization. Men do this. Women don't do that. Um, People in the non-binary, more fluid space have done the work to get away from that or are in the process of that. So that's awesome. They're often further ahead. Also, how we got here is rooted in our sexual orientation. Oh, that's gay Oh, that's straight. Straight people don't do that. Um, We're gonna get deeper into all this. Also, maybe you've been in relationships or are in a relationship with someone who's very avoidant of intimacy, so you have kind of been backed into this corner a little bit, or maybe you are or are with or have been with people that are really body or sex phobic, and so it's rubbed off on you or it's socialized you a certain way. and. I think another important thing is for some of us, porn or hookup culture very much runs in sexually avoidant sexual styles. Not that there's anything wrong with porn or hookup culture, but it shouldn't be what trains us because it's not about, it's often not at all about relationality or intimacy or vulnerability. Porn isn't supposed to be, it's entertainment. And hookup culture very much often is about one purpose only, and that's about using another adult or engaging in, you know, sex with another adult, I should say, in service of just fun and joy. It's not supposed to be intimacy building or vulnerable. Um, It can be, but it's not inherently necessarily supposed to be. And some people get a little bit of uh, too much training and socialization within and from those things. And so they've kind of not had enough experience or been challenged to really do the deeper work. So that's how we've gotten here but what are the ways that we are currently maybe keeping that, uh, uh, intimacy avoidant ball in the air? So we're going to kind of break some of this down. So the first one is, um, not engaging in foreplay. And you're going to hear me through a lot of these circle back to some of the same points, because a lot of these are parallel and they intersect, but Not having foreplay, which means all of what we've deemed to be the non-penetrative sexual stuff, which is still sex, uh, but somehow we've relegated it to there's penetration, which is true or real sex, and then there's everything else and we call it foreplay. I hate that term foreplay because it implies it's not as legitimate, it's not as real, it's not as meaningful, but it all is. It's all just different ways we use our body and our pleasure and our eroticism to connect to ourselves and to other people, but no foreplay can be a way to avoid intimacy or to consistently do that because often what is what is falling under the rubric of foreplay is very vulnerable Um, another thing is no aftercare what we do after sex with someone demonstrates what level of interest we have in them at times, but also what happens after sex can sometimes be one of the most intimate spaces. And so the cuddling after having had sex, laying together after having had sex, talking after having had sex is an extension. Of some of that intimacy, and it's a way to further deepen within. And some people, that is too much. That's too far. That's too deep. That's too connected. That's too vulnerable. And so after sex, they're like, all right, putting the clothes on, getting out of bed, making some food, hopping in the shower. Acknowledge that if that's what you always do afterwards, what would it mean, or what would it look like, or what would it feel like if you lay there for a while while naked, with body fluids on you, still still touching or with that person? Um, some people they're like, whoa, that's overwhelming. That's too much. All right, well then you identified that you don't do any aftercare because of intimacy avoidance. So I'm gonna list, as I am already, the things that are ways we avoid intimacy, but know that the solution is in doing the opposite. So if no foreplay and no aftercare after sex are ways to avoid intimacy, then the way to start to work on being able to tolerate and build in more would be to engage in more foreplay and to engage and allow for more aftercare. Another one is really limiting the areas of your body that you allow allow to be touched and engaged with sexually is another way to avoid intimacy while having sex with someone. Why? Because those body parts are too intimate. They're too vulnerable. It's too real. It's too honest. And again, we often wanna just use the parts of our body that are engaged in penetrative sex and get it done and get to it. And there's a place and a time and a space for that. But if that's the only way we know how to have sex, and it's always like that, we are practicing avoidance of intimacy and really reinforcing it. And so the work would be about what if I allowed more of my body to be touched, to be engaged, to be kissed, to be rubbed. Um, We're gonna come back and talk more because I think the next few are really gonna start to surprise people. Uh, we're familiar with the ones I've already hit, but, uh, we're going to come back and hit them, hit the more surprising ones. So stick around for that, y'all. And then we'll be doing some DMS later in the show. So if you've got a question or topic, you want us to hit, drop it in the DMS on our Loveline on J page. Otherwise we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on channel Q and odyssey. Oh, Rachel, we are back and we're talking about all the ways that we can actually use sex while having sex to avoid being intimate with ourselves, with our bodies, with our partners, And uh, before the break, we were talking about avoiding foreplay and avoiding aftercare. And now both of those are really extensive moments to connect with ourselves, to connect with another person. There's more vulnerability in those moments. So if you're not doing those things, what would it mean if you did? You know, challenge yourself to do that. Also, only allowing certain areas of our bodies to be touched. That's also a way that we really are with someone while not being with them. Um, It's a way to block intimacy because it's too overwhelming for us to lay together after sex and for us to have a lot of foreplay before and to have all these other parts of our bodies engaged. And another one is when we try to perform sex. I talk endlessly about this. Sex should be about fun and pleasure. It shouldn't be a performance. There's no right way, there's no wrong way, but yet we think there is. And as a result of that, we take pills, we try to get to penetration, and and that is a way we are avoidant of intimacy. What would it mean if we weren't trying to perform anything? We didn't need a pill because there's no right way or wrong way, there's nothing we're trying to do or accomplish, we're just there with what is and we're going with what happens because we're focusing on fun and pleasure. We're not forcing anything, we're not trying to get anywhere. Here's, we're just where we are. Um, That also goes to penetration only. What would it mean if you didn't have penetrative sex sometimes, and you just explored the rest of your bodies? Um, now we're going to get into some of the ones that I haven't really talked about much on the show, but are ways that again we find a, we find a way to be disconnected while connected. And the first one is having our eyes closed all the time. Both having our eyes closed all the time, and also only having sex in positions where we can't have eye contact, and that's normal for a lot of people. Um, where they will kiss with their eyes closed, have sex with their eyes closed, but pleasure and and arousal are actually amplified if we open our eyes. The opening of the eyes allows for more stimulus. We we see someone, uh, we take in their arousal, we take in their pleasure. Um it adds a layer of voyeurism and exhibitionism, depending on if we're doing something or having something done to us. That's going to amp up joy, pleasure, and arousal, but also that's intimacy to actually take in the person that's there with you. And for some people, it's very overwhelming. Practice that. What would it look like if you were to, while sex is being performed to or performed to the other person, open your eyes, see who's there, be seen, be seen seeing them. Um, having sex in positions where you can make eye contact. Another one is always having sex where the lights are off or very dim. That is another way to try to block out that person or intimacy while still being intimate to some level. What would it mean if you had sex during the day or with the lights on and I could see you and see your body and you could see me and see my body and you can see me see you? Again, amps up the intimacy, amps up the arousal, amps up the pleasure, but a lot of times we crank all that down. And so even though we're connecting physically because our bodies are there touching we're disconnected because that might be too much connection for you some people can't tolerate that much closeness but then they're then they're cranking down the joy and the pleasure and the arousal as well so call yourself out am i always trying to perform sex am i the minute we're done jumping out of bed and showering putting my clothes on and not allowing aftercare do i engage in foreplay Because putting all these different parts of people's bodies on us, near us, in us, in our mouths is another way to connect. Um, Again, am I always doing it with the lights off in positions where they can't see me, I can't see them. Are my eyes always closed? Again, intimacy buffers, ways to not be here while being here. Those are big ones. And a lot of people are very overwhelmed when I say that, the eye contact and the lights on. And it's almost like, well, if the lights are off and we can't see or be seen, essentially we're having sex like we are sex toys. And we miss out on a lot of that, but it can also be the entry point where we realize, am I having sex with people I wanna have sex with? Am I interested in my partner, attracted to my partner? Why do I not want closeness with these people? Because that's in here as well. What does it tell you that you're having sex in ways that is as disconnected as possible? That you're saying, I'm gonna be here as as limited as possible. What is that telling you? And so these more, um, uh, these important questions that really can rattle us are arise to the surface. So, so sit in that. Um, this is the solutions in the problem because I would say, try to do these things, see what comes up for you, or at least process why you don't want to do these things. Um, there's a few more we're going to hit those, but I, I want, I want everyone to understand it's not just about the behavior. You know, we don't do it. We should do it, but also why, why do I maybe not want this? What might that be telling me about my partner choice or the kinds of sex I'm having? Or is it a side that I've worked to do around my sex shame and my body shame and my ability to tolerate more closeness and intimacy? Because I want this to be communicative of deeper deeper level things. Um, another one is not vocalizing, meaning staying silent. Uh, oftentimes we very much restrict our body movement And our display of pleasure, and we don't let our bodies just move as they move. We don't let our mouths vocalize grunts and moans, or even talking. What would it mean if you did vocalize? It would mean that you are being more vulnerable. It would mean that you're known even more, but it would also mean you're truly in your body. And you're also truly in the moment and in your pleasure. So again, not only are you limiting your ability to connect to yourself, your body, and the other, you're also amping down, uh, cranking down the arousal. So that's why all these things hit multiple things at multiple times on multiple levels, and there's a lot of depth in this. Um, That's a big one, the vocalization, because for some people that's so vulnerable. But think about it. If you're not talking, you're withholding, and you're constricting, and that might mean you're hyper aware of your partner, and that might mean you're really living in shame versus just letting go and being raw and being real and being authentic. And then when when that's allowed and when that's accepted, my God, that's so healing. That's so healing. Because any limiting, any silencing is usually re- rooted in shame, body shame, sex shame. And and that's why I, I want people to realize if, if you're doing all of the, th- all the things on this list, or often you're doing the things on this list, or you're doing a bulk of them, there might be some sex shame. There might be some body shame. It might not just be about intimacy avoidance. It uh, might be a result of some trauma. It can really, really unearth a lot of that. Um, all right, we're going to go back and talk more about it, and then we'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a question for us or a topic you want us to hit or circle back or drop deeper into, put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Otherwise, we've got a whole lot more to come, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back, and we're talking about sex and all the ways that we can be sexual while trying to find ways to be as not connected or present as possible, right? We're in, but we're not here, but we're there. We're kind of connected, kind of disconnected. And we're talking about the fact that this can show up in a lot of ways. And the solution is in the problem. If we're not doing this, try to start doing this and ask yourself, what is that about? What's driving this? Is it my lack of confidence and acceptance of myself and my body and my sexuality? Is it sex shame? Is it body shame? Is it that I'm not confident or feeling safe with my partner? Is it trust? Let it be psychological and emotional as much as it is the physical. And some of the ways that we avoid intimacy while being intimate sexually are no foreplay, no aftercare, meaning after sex, we get dressed, we shower, we're off and running versus laying there, sitting there, cuddling, talking, savoring the moment. It's vulnerable. It's too vulnerable for some people. And that might be a communication that I don't really wanna be that close to this person, or I do, but I don't know how. So really, really, again, ask yourself, what is this, what is this being, uh, what is this speaking? What is this communicating? Also talked about the fact that we often limit what parts of our bodies we let be seen or touched. That's a way to avoid intimacy. Um, trying to perform sex versus focusing on pleasure and fun, uh, sex that's just penetration only. But then we got deeper and we said, what about sex where your eyes are closed and the lights are off and I can't make eye contact because of the positions. And I'm trying to find a way to not have to be with you while with you. But again, why? And what would it mean if i tried to have sex with the lights on making eye contact being able to see and be seen and then we talked about vocalizing restricting our bodies i'm not going to say anything i'm not going to moan i'm not going to make sounds why because you don't feel safe and comfortable is it because you are trying to attract or 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 win them over somehow what is that about and what would it mean if you did that start trying to build that in Um, Other things, not telling or sharing with a partner what turns you on or asking them what turns them on, but mind reading or assuming or just going along with what we've always done. um, That's avoidance of intimacy. You're not learning about yourself, but also you're not learning about them. And and there's so much to learn within those topics and those questions. Um, Here's another big one, having sex always in the same positions. And for some some same-sex partners, if you're, I'm a top only, I'm a bottom only, that's avoidance of intimacy. What would it mean if as a top you actually bottomed? What would mean as a bottom if you topped? That would mean you'd have to get more body confidence, more sexual confidence. Because everyone is truly verse. Everyone has the capacity to do both. And also, it goes into the same thing as roles, which maybe falls more into heterocouples. Are you always the dom? Are you always the sub? Are you always the active one? Are you always the passive one? What would it mean if you engaged in the other role or the other position? Because we all are more than one thing, but the positions or roles that we choose are usually limited. Body shame, vulnerability, anxiety, phobia of intimacy, not realizing that flexible and fluidity is what everyone really has. But why are we going along with the same roles and positions all the time? What is it we're defending against? What is it we don't want to experience or have to feel? How does that limit us? Because it limits us. It really, really, really does. And so I love these bigger questions that it unearths also other ways that we avoid intimacy during sex is by always being the one that initiates or never initiating. Why? What would it mean if you initiated? What would it mean if you let your sexuality be known or you had a more active sexuality? You'd have to risk, you'd have to risk, am I desirable to my partner? Um, What would it mean if you stopped initiating? Are you afraid of acknowledging that maybe your partner doesn't desire you? And if you don't initiate, sex doesn't happen. You'd have to actually acknowledge my partner doesn't really want me. But, But that's still there. That's still real. Let's experience that. Let's challenge ourselves to talk about that. So again, if you're always initiating, what if you did not If you never did, what if you did? Because everyone should be doing both. Um, also, if, if, if sex is always beginning and ending the same ways, why aren't we challenging ourselves to start with different things? Again, we're getting out of our patterns and our habits and our comfort zones because patterns and habits are all about anxiety regulation. And it's also about avoiding vulnerability, which means avoiding intimacy. What is that about? That's why I love this question. It's always, why do you do what you're doing and why are you not doing other things? Because all of these things for most of us are very possible, they're very reasonable. But yet, we do what's familiar and what's comfortable. But that is where intimacy is very avoidant. And that's why I tell people, go have a new experience together. That's one of the most magical, pleasurable things. Going out into the world and experiencing new things. But the same thing within intimacy. A lot of people, their lives are very route, uh, very root where it's the same thing, same days, same times, for fear of that messiness, for fear of that unknown. But that's where we really show our authentic selves. So ask yourself why, ask yourself what am I avoiding? How can I step into some of these things? Um, Is this what my partner does? How can I challenge that? How can we grow and transform as a result of this acknowledgement? Same thing with the invisible divorce concept. What if I spoke to my partner about the fact that we've drifted? and that we don't have emotional, psychological, or sexual intimacy at all anymore. What are we avoiding and avoiding that conversation? powerful stuff um all right coming up next we're going to be doing some dms so if you got a question for us topic you want to sit something you want us to circle back or drop deeper into drop it in the dms on our loveline ig page and past episodes of the show is over at wearechannelq.com scroll down look for loveline and click on it you can binge post re-listen and share lots of good stuff we got to unlearn and relearn so it's all about that repetition otherwise stick around we'll be back you're listening to loveline with dr chris on channel q and odyssey we'll be right back
1: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
3: All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
3: This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my boyfriend and I are cishet, which means sis hetero, uh, 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 have known each other for about a decade. Oh, that's beautiful. We've been exclusively dating for a year. We casually dated, hooked up for years prior. However, a few years ago, I found out he had a girlfriend who had been living with him for years and thought he was monogamous. I was horrified to be the other woman, cut contact with him for about a year. We eventually reconciled have both done a lot of healing and growth and are happily coupled and big fans of your work. Oh, thank you. He's naturally non-monogamous and I'm okay with it, but I'm demisexual, demisexual, and not interested in it myself. Demisexual, for those that aren't familiar, is someone whose sexuality or arousal tends to come online their sexual desire after having maybe formed a bond or a relationship or getting familiar with them it kind of grows where for some people it's spontaneous from the door others it's more phrase sexual which means the more intimate and familiar and close they get it actually tapers off versus growing and those are people that do best in open non-monogamous styles where someone like this individual who's more demisexual really thrives sexually within commitment and uh, getting to know someone Um, anyway, so he's naturally non-monogamous. You're okay with it. You're demisexual, not interested in yourself. Cool. I love when everyone understands who they are, what their needs are. And it's really important for us to be very transparent about what our sex, how our sexuality operates. So as to make sure that, you know, our partners don't take it personal, they understand what they're getting involved in. We can have confidence, all that stuff. So the two of you sound like you have really good communication. I love that he's been accused by others of being a sex addict for his past behavior. I'm sorry that, 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 you know, made up mythic label. Here's an example of how it gets applied. Oh, that person is non-monogamous or struggles with monogamy. They must be addicted to sex. Oh dear God, knock it off. Um, okay. So he's been accused toxically as being a sex addict. I'm sorry to hear that his friends are made nervous by his sex life. Um, And you're uh, wait. He's been accused by others being sexist for his past behavior, and your writing in that regard has shifted my mindset and helped me feel, or helped him feel less shame. Awesome, awesome. My question is: Do you have advice for how to introduce non-monogamy into a relationship when only one partner is interested in it? I have an open mind, but I struggle with possessiveness, insecurity, and I want to evolve past that. Oof! there's a lot in there. I appreciate your desire to push on your edges, to grow, change, evolve. Um, every, I have my, my, my answers are gonna be a little annoying. Um, everyone's gonna need something different. So I would say you first need to sit down and figure out where your anxieties and insecurities come from to try to figure out how to resolve them. Um, Also, don't think that if we are made to feel insecure or jealous, that that means whatever we're doing is wrong or our partner's done something wrong or our relational style is wrong. You know, you might be one of those people who will consistently have to battle a little jealousy or insecurity when in a non-monogamous relationship. But I think it's really about you requesting maybe some of the reassurance you need, um, getting on the same page as to what kind of a non-monogamy would be most meaningful for you, Um, not feeling anxious about vocalizing jealousy if and when it occurs. Um, here's the thing. There's a lot of beautiful work and books out there on non-monogamy, and they walk you through all the different kinds of styles and structures, and it can get a little complicated because, um, again, this is some people's life's work where they're breaking down the different styles, configurations. So basically, your question was, do you have advice for how to introduce it? I would say, number one, talk about what your expectations are. Talk about what you think your your limits and boundaries are. Test it, knowing that what doesn't work can always be changed and updated, and it's it's about growing into it. It's also about acknowledging that what works at one point might not work at another point. So it's really about, again, looking at what you think you need, uh, testing it as you go, really having great open communication to talk about what you need to change. Um, And I also think it's really great to work with a therapist who's very well-versed in ethical non-monogamy, polyamory, and all of that, so they can help problem solve. So that's kind of my annoying answer. My best advice is to start with a couples therapist who's trained in this, and they can help you figure out what you need, how to work with your jealousy, how to not shame it, etc etc so that's my advice and i luckily don't give that often where i'm like just go to therapy but i'd also say pick up some of those books because there's really no starting point that i think is great for everyone but i think you've already done that first step which is open communication around it so i know my answer is kind of a non-answer but there's just nothing really that global that i think works for everyone so like i said look at some of the books see what works for you what doesn't and and work with a really great therapist on it because I think that's where we can learn about ourselves through that process and really um, enhance our relationship around it, you know? All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow, so join us then. If you got a question for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, put in there your questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back, drop deeper into, all that good stuff on the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes of the show over at WeAreChannelQ.com. Scroll down look for Loveline and click on it. You can post, re-listen, share, take us on a journey with you. Otherwise, be good to yourselves. Be good to those around you. We're dropping the bar. We're giving 70% max, so we're not living in burnout. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me, y'all. And you enjoy the rest of your night. Good night, everybody.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?